Their number is growing, and while they are still the vast minority, their influence in schools, universities, and media is strong. We're talking about the new atheists. And today, we have some questions for those who believe that God does not exist. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is an author, speaker, and scholar who discusses everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. These are spiritual and cultural topics of interest to all of us, so we think you'll get a lot out of this program. And our website, evidenceandanswers.org, has past radio shows you may have missed, interviews with leading scholars and experts, Pat's books and articles, and multiple resources to explore. So check it out today, evidenceandanswers.org. Today, Pat discusses that many who don't believe God exists are very active in trying to spread their beliefs, or lack of belief, as they often put it. In that case, there are some questions they may find rather disturbing. Let's go to Dr. Pat Zuckerman speaking before an audience with part one of Questions Atheists Fear. We're going to teach you how to be offensive witnesses for Christ. I don't mean offensive in the sense of rude, but having a good offense. Championship teams not only have defense, but good offense. Apologetics is not only a defense of the Christian faith, it also has an offensive or an offense component to it. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the Word of God being living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Ephesians talks about the spiritual armor and the Word of God being a sword. That's an offensive weapon. And often, we get rocked back on our heels in the midst of a discussion. People keep demanding that we prove our point, we prove our point, we prove our point, and we're kind of always on our heels here giving a defense, when actually, Christianity has some powerful challenges to present to the other positions. In witnessing, the goal, the ultimate goal is what? Bringing your friend and family member to Christ. The immediate goal is what? Get them one step closer. You got that? You don't always have to go for the home run. Okay? Sometimes you can go for the single. For example, if he's an atheist and you share with him the gospel, he's going to say, there's no God. There can be no acts of God, no miracles. Therefore, there can be no word of God and no son of God. So where do you start with the guy? Instead of trying to hit the home run and getting him to accept Christ as the Lord and Savior, you just take him one step closer. You show him that it's reasonable. There's good, reasonable evidence to believe that God exists. And when you get him at that point, you've brought him one step closer to the gospel. Because now, next time you share with him, you say, if there is a God, there can be acts of God, there can be the Son of God, and there can be a Word of God. If a guy is just absolutely hostile against Christianity, he thinks this thing is the silliest thing to believe. If you can show him there's reasonable, good reasons to believe in Christ, there's good, compelling evidence, and you just get him to the point where he says, I guess this is not a silly kind of religion. There can be smart people. You don't have to lose your mind to believe this thing. There's some reason for this. If you get him to that point, you've brought him one step closer to the gospel. If you're talking to a Buddhist and he's staunch in his belief and you get him to the point where you can expose some of the flaws in his belief system, show him you can't live out uh, what Buddha taught. It's impossible to live out consistently. If you can get him to that point, you've brought him one step closer to the gospel. A lot of us think successful evangelism is saying the sinner's prayer with the unbeliever. No, it's bringing them one step closer to the gospel. So your ultimate goal? Bring him to Christ. Your immediate goal, bring him one step closer. If he already believes in God, 
then what is the next step? Well, there's good reason and good evidence to believe in Jesus Christ who claimed to be the divine Son of God and confirmed his claim to his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. One of the best ways to share Christ is to ask good questions. Good questions will often expose weaknesses in a position and open the door for discussion where there might not be an open door. I've known many people who've come to Christ simply because Christians ask them good questions. And in thinking through their particular position, they realize the weakness of the particular flaw in their belief system and eventually began questioning it and researching it and eventually switching from the position they held to biblical faith. So one of the best ways to witness for Christ is to ask good questions. And Jesus was the absolute master at that. For example, Matthew chapter 12, he comes into the synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand in verse 9. It says, he went there and entered into the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him of something? So here they come and they're saying, all right, you know what the law says, don't work on the Sabbath. Here's the guy with a withered hand. If you're going to heal him, you're working and you're breaking the Sabbath. What does Jesus do? Does he give 12 reasons why he can do this? No, he turns around and he asks them a question. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he returns and he asks them a question. Exposes the flaw in their particular thinking or belief system, and then that opens the door for him to explain truth. Jesus was a master at that. For those of us that want to be disciples of Christ to effectively engage other belief systems, we need to develop that skill as well. By the way, there's a good book on that. It's called The Apologetics of Jesus out there, written by a couple guys you may know. I highly recommend that book. Shameless self-promotion there. When it comes to the atheist, therefore, here's five questions. They're very effective when dialoguing with an atheist. You don't have to ask all five when you sit down with your atheist friends and family member. Maybe you just ask them one or two. Or just ask them one and next time you come together, ask them the second one. And when you get back together again, ask them the third one. These are five very powerful and very effective questions that open a good discussion with an atheist, but often expose the weakness of the atheist position or the inconsistency there and open the door for you to present a case for Jesus Christ. Now remember, when you're dealing with an atheist, and there's not many true atheists out there, not too many. When you're dealing with someone who claims to be an atheist, what's your goal? Your ultimate goal is being in Christ, but your immediate goal is what? Get them one step closer. All you need to show them is that there's good reasonable evidence that God exists. Then you can answer the next question. Well, has this God communicated with us in some manner? You want to get on first base. You want to show it's reasonable that God exists and there's some serious issues, fatal flaws with the atheist position. Now, the first question may be the funnest, but also one of the most devastating questions of all. Question number one is this. If God does not exist, what is the meaning of life? Why do you exist? What is the purpose of your existence? Simple question. 
What is the meaning of our existence here? Now, the atheist is going to have to concede. If he thinks about it, he or she thinks about it very carefully, you're going to have to come to one awful conclusion. The universe is an accident. Therefore, there was no intended purpose for its existence. Since the universe has no ultimate purpose, proposition number three, objects in the universe have no ultimate purpose. Therefore, proposition number four, therefore, there is no purpose for our existence here in the universe. The universe is simply an accident. Therefore, we are ultimately an accident as well. There was no purpose or design or intention for us to be here. We're simply an accident. The conclusion you come to is your existence is ultimately meaningless. It's void of hope, it's void of meaning, it's void of value. If the universe is an accident, there was no intention for it to be here, what difference does it make if it did not exist? If you are an accident in space and time, what difference does it make whether you're here or not? Because our ultimate end is what? Extinction. Extinction. The universe is one day going to die. If what we're studying is true, the universe is expanding, what's going to happen in the end? If it keeps following its course? Well, it's like a firecracker. It's going to expand, it's going to run out of energy, and the universe is going to die. That's the ultimate end of the universe. As the universe goes, so mankind goes. One day, we're going to be extinct. One day, you and I are going to be extinct. The only sure thing we face is what? Extinction. Never, ever, ever to see your loved ones again. But what difference would it have made if we were an accident in the first place? Ultimately, life is meaningless. If there is no God, there is no eternal life. One day we will all cease to exist, and the only sure thing we have to face is what? The death of the universe and the death of mankind. You know, I was on a radio debate, and an atheist said, well, that's your conclusion, Pat. And I said, no, that's not my conclusion. I'm simply repeating what you atheists have already said for centuries. If you think about it, that's your ultimate conclusion that you come to. And I'm not stating something new. I'm just repeating what you atheist, what the great atheist philosophers of the last couple of centuries have said. And he said, well, name me one. I said, well, here you go. Bertrand Russell, one of the top atheist thinkers of modern times. And he said this, man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves, his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. See, I'm not coming with a new conclusion. I'm simply repeating what atheist thinkers have already, and rightfully so, concluded. Here's another one, a clip from biology professor at Cornell University, Dr. William Provine, one of the top evolutionists of our time, a guy that I deeply respect, because he's willing to honestly look at the conclusion if God does not exist and Darwinism is true. No gods, no life after death, no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no human free will are all deeply connected to an, an evolutionary perspective. 
You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. And that's all there is to it. Dr. Will Provine, professor of the history of biology at Cornell University, gave us another disturbing glimpse into where Darwinism can lead. Oh, I was a Christian, but I never heard anything about evolution because it was illegal to teach it in Tennessee. Dr. Provine's first biology professor changed all that. He started talking about evolution as if it had no design in it whatsoever. And I came up to him and I said, you've left out the most important part. And he said, if you feel the same way at the end of one quarter, I want you to stand up in front of the students in this class and tell them this deep lack in evolution. And I read that book so carefully, I could find no sign of there being any design whatsoever in evolution. And I immediately began to doubt the existence of the deity. But it starts by giving up an active deity. Then it gives up the hope that there's any life after death. When you give those two up, the rest of it follows fairly easily. You give up the hope that there's a, an imminent morality. And finally, there's no human free will. If you believe in evolution, you can't hope for there being any free will. There's no hope whatsoever of there being any deep meaning in human life. We live, we die, and we're gone. We're absolutely gone when we die. The conclusions of the great atheist thinkers. No life after death, no absolute foundation for right and wrong, no ultimate meaning for life, no free will. And when you're speaking with your atheist friends, simply ask them that question. And then just press them on it. Well, my family gives meaning. Well, what's going to happen when you die? You're never going to see them again? They're going to die. They're going to be extinct. Mankind is one day going to die and be extinct. What difference did it make that we are ever here? It gives you temporal meaning, but it doesn't give you ultimate meaning for our existence here. If God does exist, and there's powerful evidence that God does exist. We'll go through some of that tonight, but the evidence for God will have to be for another time. But if God does not exist, your life is ultimately meaningless, void of meaning, void of hope, void of ultimately free will, void of value. If God does exist, and the evidence is quite powerful that he does, then there's some terrific promises for each one of us here, isn't it? Psalm 139, verse 16 says that we were created by God. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That God has created us, and he created us for a purpose. And our purpose is to love our creator and fulfill the mission he has placed upon our life. You know, it's very difficult for an atheist to live consistently with his conclusion that life is ultimately meaningless. There was an atheist who I became friends with who would go around trying to debate as many Christians as he could. When he first came on the scene, he claimed to be a Christian apologist. And then as he studied, he said, well, the evidence wasn't there, and he became thus a self-proclaimed atheist. He began trying to get on every Christian talk show that he could to debate Christians. 
And Derek believed that there was no such thing as absolute truth. Truth does not originate with God. It originates with man. Therefore, it's relative. There's, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I remember we were in a discussion one day. And I said, Derek, what are you running around preaching to people? He said, well, I'm preaching them the truth. I said, the truth of what? He said, well, there's no life after death. There is no God. I said, that is truth? He said, yes. And I said, wait a minute. I thought you said there's no such thing as absolute truth. You know, he kind of got caught there. I said, life ultimately is meaningless? He said, yeah, it's meaningless. And I said, then why do you run around telling people about it? Obviously, you find fulfillment in telling people that life is ultimately meaningless. You find great meaning in telling people there's no meaning. You know, <laughs> he kind of sat there for a while and I said, you show great zeal. You travel around the U.S. You spend all this time on Christian websites and trying to get on Christian radio shows to debate to tell everybody what, Derek? And he said, well, the truth, that life has no meaning. And I said, well, obviously you find meaning in that. That drives you, that wakes you up in the morning, gives you a sense of purpose in life, doesn't it? But what difference does it make, Derek? Life is meaningless. It's ultimately meaningless. You know, he thought about it for a moment. I said, it's impossible to live out your conclusions consistently as an atheist. You've got to find some kind of meaning, some kind of purpose in your life. Yet in the back of your mind, you're saying, life is ultimately meaningless. You can't live out your conclusion consistently. So question number one, if God does not exist, what is the meaning of life? What's the meaning of our existence here? Life is ultimately meaningless. Void of meaning, void of value, void of hope. Second question is this. What explains the origin of the universe? Why is the universe here? And how did it come about? That's question number two. Now, if God does not exist, here are the two atheist answers. Number one, the universe has always existed. It's always been around. It's been eternal. This answer dominated the scene for a couple centuries, but recent discoveries have shown pretty much the universe is not eternal. The universe has a beginning. And if the universe has a beginning, then the universe must have a cause. It's called the law of causality. The universe is not eternal. How do we know that? It's pretty much unanimous in the scientific community that the universe has a beginning. Many call it the Big Bang. The Big Bang is not a theory Christians need to be afraid of. It's one of the great evidences that God does exist. Because what follows is called the law of causality. The law of causality simply states whatever has a beginning must have a cause. If the universe has a beginning, then the universe must have a cause. A something atheist scientists were reluctant to admit, but now it's almost unanimous in the scientific community that the universe has a beginning. Therefore, we cannot ignore this question. It must be answered. What is the cause of the universe? This is a question that must be answered. Time doesn't allow me to go into all the uh, evidences, but Einstein's theory of relativity, radiation echo, the expanding universe, you know, with the Hubble telescope, 
and all those telescopes out there that float above the Earth, we can now measure the distance from galaxies and our universe is expanding. If you go backwards, right back to that beginning point, the red shift, the second law of thermodynamics, all this brings us to the conclusion that the universe has a beginning and this is pretty much unanimous in the scientific community. Here's what some of the top scientists, many of you know these names, are saying. And these aren't necessarily Christian men. Stephen Hawking, great astrophysicist, says, Almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Well, that sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? Time itself has a beginning. Steven Weinberg is a Nobel Prize winning physicist from the University of Texas at Austin, a staunch atheist, okay, a staunch atheist. At a debate at Baylor University, he began to espouse his points and he let the Christians know that he thought their position was silly, that any attempt to prove there's a God is going to fail, you know, da 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 da. But then he looked at the audience and he said, but one thing absolutely horrifies me. He said, I'm horrified at this one thought that one day I'm going to die and become extinct, never, ever, ever to see my loved ones again, never, ever to see my children or my grandchildren. And that thought absolutely horrifies me. There's a man who honestly looked at the implications of his belief system. Now, he says this, in the beginning there was an explosion, not an explosion like those familiar on earth, but an explosion which occurred simultaneously everywhere, filling all space from the beginning with every particle of matter rushing apart from every other particle. What's that beginning to sound like? God created the universe out of nothing. The atheist response don't work. The universe always existed. Well, the evidence goes against that position. Well, then you're going to have to conclude, number two, the universe has no cause. But how could something come from nothing without a cause? That's an absolute absurd conclusion. It goes against the scientific evidence, and it goes against basic reasoning. The law of causality, whatever has a beginning must have a cause. If the universe has a beginning, the universe has a cause. You cannot ignore that question. You must answer it. What is the cause of the universe? David Hume, the great atheist, who, atheist philosopher, whose argument against miracles may be the most brilliant argument against miracles ever invented by the human mind. When you're debating on the resurrection of Christ, David Hume is the guy you're debating against. Numerous atheists I have debated and spoken with, when they present their case against Christianity, it's pretty much David Hume, just in another package. But he said this, I never asserted so absurd a proposition as that anything might arise without a cause. To say the universe came from nothing without a cause, that's an absurd conclusion. Even the atheists see that as absurd. Along with the law of causality, there's another law here, the law of cause and effect. Every cause has an effect, every effect has a cause. And the second part, no effect is greater than its cause. If the universe is an effect, the cause of the universe is greater than the universe. So whatever created time is greater than time. What's greater than time? It's an eternal being, a being beyond time. 
Whoever or whatever created the universe is all-powerful. You study the universe, whatever created this or whoever did, extremely powerful, and the universe runs like a well-oiled machine. Therefore, it's got to be something with high intelligence. That means what? It's a person. It's not a it. It's a person. And he's a moral being. He's an all-powerful, highly intelligent, eternal, and moral being. Hmm. Sounds like the God of the Bible, doesn't it? Whatever caused the universe is greater than the universe. So what's the most reasonable conclusion? That the universe was eternal? That the universe comes from nothing? Or that something greater than the universe caused the universe? Which one is the most reasonable conclusion? To say the universe comes from nothing without a cause, guess what? That's a tremendous statement of faith. That's a tremendous amount of faith you're exercising there. You know, that's why I'm not an atheist. Hey, I don't have faith to be an atheist. Well, there is so much more Pat can say on questions atheists fear, but we are out of time, so we'll pick it up right there next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. And by the way, if you missed any part of this program today or you would like to send it to friends and family, it's available right now for download at evidenceandanswers.org. Go there and browse audio, articles, and other resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. And if we've been a blessing to you or given you some good information, please consider supporting us financially. Pat raises his own support for Evidence and Answers, and we so appreciate whatever gift you can give. You'll help keep us on the air and online with some really good news and the evidence to back it up. Just click the donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. We would be so encouraged to hear from you today. So go online, evidenceandanswers.org. And we'll see you next time.